Chapter Fifty One of the Claverings. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jean Bascom. The Claverings by Anthony Trollope. Chapter Fifty One. Showing how things settled themselves at the rectory. When Harry's letter with the tidings of the fate of his cousins reached Florence at Stratton, the whole family was, not unnaturally, thrown into great excitement. Being slow people, the elder Burtons had hardly as yet realized the fact that Harry was again to be accepted among the Burton Pennates as a pure divinity. Mrs. Burton, for some weeks past, had grown to be almost sublime in her wrath against him. That a man should live and treat her daughter as Florence was about to be treated— had not her husband forbidden such a journey, as being useless in regard to the expenditure, she would have gone up to London that she might have told Harry what she thought of him. Then came the news that Harry was again a divinity, an Apollo, whom the Burton Pennates ought only to be too proud to welcome to a seat among them. And now came this other news, that this Apollo was to be an Apollo indeed. When the god first became a god again, there was still a cloud upon the minds of the elder Burtons as to the means by which the divinity was to be sustained. A god in truth, but a god with so very moderate an annual income, unless, indeed, those old Burtons made it up to an extent which seemed to them to be quite unnatural. There was joy among the Burtons, of course, but the joy was somewhat dimmed by these reflections as to the slight means of their Apollo. A lover who was not an Apollo might wait, but, as they had learned already, there was danger in keeping such a god as this suspended on the tenter-hooks of expectation. But now there came the further news. This Apollo of theirs had already a place of his own among the gods of Olympus. He was the eldest son of a man of large fortune, and would be a baronet. He had already declared that he would marry at once, that his father wished him to do so, and that an abundant income would be forthcoming. As to his eagerness for an immediate marriage, no divinity in or out of the heavens could behave better. Old Mrs. Burton, as she went through the process of taking him again to her heart, remembered that the virtue had been his even before the days of his backsliding had come, a warm-hearted, eager, affectionate divinity, with only this against him, that he wanted some careful looking after in these his unsettled days. I really do think that he'll be as fond of his own fireside as any other man when he has once settled down said Mrs. Burton. It will not, I hope, be taken as a blot on the character of this mother that she was much elated at the prospect of the good things which were to fall to her daughter's lot. For herself she desired nothing. For her daughters she had coveted only good, substantial, painstaking husbands who would fear God and mind their business. When Harry Clavering had come across her path and had demanded a daughter from her, after the manner of the other young men who had learned the secrets of their profession at Stratton, she had desired nothing more than that he and Florence should walk in the path which had been followed by her sisters and their husbands. But then had come that terrible fear, and now had come these golden prospects, that her daughter should be Lady Clavering of Clavering Park. She could not but be elated at the thought of it. She would not live to see it, but the consciousness that it would be so was pleasant in her old age. Florence had ever been regarded as the flower of the flock, and now she would be taken up into high places according to her deserts. First had come the letter from Harry, and then, after an interval of a week, another letter from Mrs. Clavering, pressing her dear Florence to go to the parsonage. "'We think that at present we all ought to be together,' said Mrs. Clavering, "'and therefore we want you to be with us.' It was very flattering. 
i suppose i ought to go mamma said florence mrs burton was of opinion that she certainly ought to go you should write to her ladyship at once said mrs burton mindful of the change which had taken place florence however addressed her letter as heretofore to mrs clavering thinking that a mistake on that side would be better than a mistake on the other it was not for her to be over mindful of the rank with which she was about to be connected you won't forget your old mother now that you are going to be so grand said mrs burton as florence was leaving her you only say that to laugh at me said florence i expect no grandness and i am sure you expect no forgetfulness the solemnity consequent upon the first news of the accident had worn itself off and florence found the family at the parsonage happy and comfortable mrs fielding was still there and mr fielding was expected again after the next sunday fanny also was there and florence could see during the first half hour that she was very radiant mr saul however was not there and it may as well be said at once that mr saul as yet knew nothing of his coming fortune florence was received with open arms by them all and by harry with arms which were almost too open i suppose it may be in about three weeks from now he said at the first moment in which he could have her to himself oh harry no said florence no why no that's what my mother proposes in three weeks she could not have said that nobody has begun to think of such a thing yet at stratton they are so very slow at stratton and you are so very fast at clavering but harry we don't know where we are going to live we should go abroad at first i suppose and what then that would only be for a month or so only for a month i mean for all the winter and the spring why not one can see nothing in a month if we are back for the shooting next year that would do and then of course we should come here i should say next winter that is the winter after the next we might as well stay with them at the big house and then we could look about us you know i should like a place near to this because of the hunting florence when she heard all this became aware that in talking about a month she had forgotten herself she had been accustomed to holidays of a month's duration and to honeymoon trips fitted to such vacations a month was the longest holiday ever heard of in the chambers of the adelphi or at the house in onslow crescent she had forgotten herself it was not to be the lot of her husband to earn his bread and fit himself to such periods as business might require then harry went on describing the tour which he had arranged which as he said he only suggested but it was quite apparent that in this matter he intended to be paramount florence indeed made no objection to spend a fortnight in paris to hurry over the alps before the cold weather came to spend a month in florence and then go on to rome it would all be very nice but she declared that it would suit the next year better than this suit ten thousand fiddlesticks said harry but it is october now and therefore there is no time to lose i haven't a dress in the world but the one i have on and a few others like it oh harry how can you talk in that way well say four weeks then from now that will make it the seventh of november and we'll only stay a day or two in paris we can do paris next year in may if you'll agree to that i'll agree but florence's breath was taken away from her and she could agree to nothing she did agree to nothing till she had been talked into doing so by mrs clavering my dear said her future mother-in-law what you say is undoubtedly true there is no absolute necessity for hurrying it is not an affair of life or death but you and harry have been engaged quite long enough now and i really don't see why you should put it off if you do as he asks you you will just have time to make yourselves comfortable before the cold weather begins but mamma will be so surprised i am sure she will wish it my dear you see harry is a young man of that sort so impetuous i mean you know and so eager and so you know what i mean that the sooner he is married the better you can't but take it as a compliment florence that he is so eager of course i do 
and you should reward him. Believe me, it will be best that it should not be delayed. Whether or no Mrs. Clavering had present in her imagination the possibility of any further danger that might result from Lady Ongar, I will not say, but if so, she altogether failed in communicating her idea to Florence. "'Then I must go home at once,' said Florence, driven almost to bewail the terrors of her position. "'You can write home at once and tell your mother. You can tell her all that I say, and I am sure she will agree with me. If you wish it, I will write a line to Mrs. Burton myself.' Florence said that she would wish it. "'And we can begin, you know, to get your things ready here. People don't take so long about all that nowadays as they used to do.' When Mrs. Clavering had turned against her, Florence knew that she had no hope, and surrendered, subject to the approval of the higher authorities at Stratton. The higher authorities at Stratton approved also, of course, and Florence found herself fixed to a day with a suddenness that bewildered her. Immediately, almost as soon as the consent had been extorted from her, she began to be surrounded with incipient preparation for the event, as to which, about three weeks since, she had made up her mind it would never come to pass. On the second day of her arrival in the privacy of her bedroom, Fanny communicated to her the decision of her family in regard to Mr. Saul, but she told the story at first as though this decision referred to the living only, as though the rectory were to be conferred on Mr. Saul without any burden attached to it. "'He has been here so long, dear,' said Fanny, and understands the people so well. "'I am so delighted,' said Florence. "'I am sure it is the best thing Papa could do, that is, if he quite makes up his mind to give up the parish himself.' This troubled Florence, who did not know that a baronet could hold a living. "'I thought he must give up being a clergyman now that Sir Hugh is dead.' "'Oh, dear, no!' And then Fanny, who was great on ecclesiastical subjects, explained it all. "'Even though he were to be a peer, he could hold a living if he pleased. A great many baronets are clergymen, and some of them do hold preferments. As to Papa, the doubt has been with him whether he would wish to give up the work. But he will preach sometimes, you know, though of course he will not be able to do that unless Mr. Saul lets him.' No one but the rector has a right to his own pulpit except the bishop, and he can preach three times a year if he likes it. And suppose the bishop wanted to preach four times? He couldn't do it. At least I believe not. But you see, he never wants to preach at all, not in such a place as this, so that does not signify. And will Mr. Saul come and live here, in this house? Some day, I suppose he will, said Fanny, blushing. And you, dear? I don't know how that may be. Come, Fanny. Indeed I don't, Florence, or I would tell you. Of course Mr. Saul has asked me. I never had any secret with you about that, have I? No, you were very good. Then he asked me again, twice again. And then there came, oh, such a quarrel between him and papa. It was so terrible. Do you know, I believe they wouldn't speak in the vestry? Not but what each of them has the highest possible opinion of the other. But of course Mr. Saul couldn't marry on a curacy. When I think of it, it really seems that he must have been mad. But you don't think him so mad now, dear? He doesn't know a word about it yet, not a word. He hasn't been in the house since, and Papa and he didn't speak, not in a friendly way, till the news came of Pierre Hughes being drowned. And then he came up to Papa, and, of course, Papa took his hand. But he still thinks he is going away. And when is he to be told that he needn't go? That is the difficulty. Mamma will have to do it, I believe. But what she will say, I am sure I, for one, can't think. Mrs. Clavering will have no difficulty. You mustn't call her Mrs. Clavering. Lady Clavering, then. That's a great deal worse. She's your mamma now. Not quite so much as she is mine, but the next thing to it. She'll know what to say to Mr. Saul. But what is she to say? Well, Fanny, you ought to know that. I suppose you do love him. I have never told him so. But you will. It seems so odd. 
mamma will have to suppose he were to turn round and say he didn't want me that would be awkward he would in a minute if that was what he felt the idea of having the living would not weigh with him a bit but when he was so much in love before it won't make him out of love will it i don't know said fanny at any rate mamma is to see him to-morrow and after that i suppose i'm sure i don't know but i suppose he'll come to the rectory as he used to how happy you must be said florence kissing her to this fanny made some unintelligible demur it was undoubtedly possible that under the altered circumstances of the case so strange a being as mr saul might have changed his mind there was a great trial awaiting florence burton she had to be taken up to call on the ladies at the great house on the two widowed ladies who were still remaining there when she came to clavering it was only on the day before her arrival that harry had seen lady ongar he had thought much of the matter before he went across to the house doubting whether it would not be better to let julia go without troubling her with a further interview but he had not then seen even lady clavering since the tidings of her bereavement had come and he felt that it would not be well that he should let his cousin's widow leave clavering without offering her his sympathy and it might be better also that he should see julia once again if only that he might show himself capable of meeting her without the exhibition of any peculiar emotion he went therefore to the house and having inquired for lady clavering saw both the sisters together he soon found that the presence of the younger one was a relief to him lady clavering was so sad and so peevish in her sadness so broken-spirited so far as yet from recognizing the great enfranchisement that had come to her that with her alone he would have found himself almost unable to express the sympathy which he felt but with lady ongar he had no difficulty lady ongar her sister being with them in the room talked to him easily as though there had never been anything between them to make conversation difficult that all words between them should on such an occasion as this be sad was a matter of course but it seemed to harry that julia had freed herself from all the effects of that feeling which had existed between them and that it would become him to do this as effectually as she had done it such an idea at least was in his mind for a moment but when he left her she spoke one word which dispelled it harry she said you must ask miss burton to come across and see me i hear that she is to be at the rectory to-morrow harry of course said that he would send her she will understand why i cannot go to her as i should do but for poor hermy's position you will explain this harry harry blushing up to his forehead declared that florence would require no explanation and that she would certainly make the visit as proposed i wish to see her harry so much and if i do not see her now i may never have another chance it was nearly a week after this that florence went across to the great house with mrs clavering and fanny i think that she understood the nature of the visit she was called upon to make and no doubt she trembled much at the coming ordeal she was going to see her great rival her rival who had almost been preferred to her nay who had been preferred to her for some short space of time and whose claims as to beauty and wealth were so greatly superior to her own and this woman whom she was to see had been the first love of the man she now regarded as her own and would have been about to be his wife at that moment had it not been for her own treachery to him was she so beautiful as people said florence in the bottom of her heart wished that she might have been saved from this interview the three ladies from the rectory found the two ladies at the great house sitting together in the small drawing-room florence was so confused that she could hardly bring herself to speak to lady clavering or so much as look at lady ongar she shook hands with the elder sister and knew that her hand was then taken by the other julia at first spoke a very few words to mrs clavering and fanny sat herself down beside hermione Florence took a chair at a little distance, and was left there for a few minutes without notice, 
for this she was very thankful and by degrees was able to fix her eyes on the face of the woman whom she so feared to see and yet on whom she so desired to look lady clavering was a mass of ill-arranged widow's weeds she had assumed in all its grotesque ugliness those paraphernalia of outward woe which women have been condemned to wear in order that for a time they may be shorn of all the charms of their sex nothing could be more proper or unbecoming than the heavy drooping shapeless blackness in which lady clavering had enveloped herself but lady ongar though also a widow though as yet a widow of not twelve months standing was dressed in weeds no doubt but in weeds which had been so cultivated that they were as good as flowers she was very beautiful florence owned to herself as she sat there in silence that lady ongar was the most beautiful woman she had ever seen but hers was not the beauty by which as she would have thought harry clavering would have been attracted lady ongar's form bust and face were at this period of her life almost majestic whereas the softness and grace of womanhood were the charms which harry loved he had sometimes said to florence that to his taste cecilia burton was almost perfect as a woman and there could be no contrast greater than that between cecilia burton and lady ongar but florence did not remember that the julia brabazon of the three years since had not been the same as the lady ongar whom now she saw when they had been there some minutes lady ongar came and sat beside florence moving her seat as though she were doing the most natural thing in the world florence's heart came to her mouth but she made a resolution that she would if possible bear herself well you have been at clavering before i think said lady ongar florence said that she had been at the parsonage during the last easter yes i heard that you dined there with my brother-in-law this she said in a low voice having seen that lady clavering was engaged with fanny and mrs clavering was it not terribly sudden terribly sudden said florence the two brothers had you not met captain clavering yes he was here when i dined with your sister poor fellow is it not odd that they should have gone and that their friend whose yacht it was should have been saved they say however that mr stuart behaved admirably begging his friends to get into the boat first he stayed by the vessel when the boat was carried away and he was saved in that way but he meant to do the best he could for them there is no doubt of that but how dreadful his feelings must be men do not think so much of these things as we do they have so much more to employ their minds don't you think so florence did not at the moment quite know what she thought about men's feelings but she said she supposed that such was the case but i think that after all they are juster than we continued lady ongar juster and truer though not so tender-hearted mr stuart no doubt would have been willing to drown himself to save his friends because the fault was in some degree his i don't know that i should have been able to do so much in such a moment it must have been so difficult to think of what ought to be done yes indeed and there is but little good in speculating upon it now you know this place do you not the house i mean and the gardens not very well florence as she answered this question began to tremble take a turn with me and i will show you the garden my hat and cloak are in the hall then florence got up to accompany her trembling very much inwardly miss burton and i are going out for a few minutes said lady ongar addressing herself to mrs clavering we will not keep you waiting very long we are in no hurry said mrs clavering then florence was carried off and found herself alone with her conquered rival not that there is much to show you said lady ongar indeed nothing but the place must be of more interest to you than to any one else and if you are fond of that sort of thing no doubt you will make it all that is charming i am very fond of a garden said florence i don't know whether i am alone by myself i think i should care nothing for the prettiest eden in all england i don't think i would care for a walk through the elysian fields by myself 
i am a chameleon and take the colour of those with whom i live my future colours will not be very bright as i take it it's a gloomy place enough is it not but there are fine trees you see which are the only things which one cannot by any possibility command given good trees taste and money may do anything very quickly as i have no doubt you'll find i don't suppose i shall have much to do with it at present i should think that you will have everything to do with it there miss burton i have brought you here to show you this very spot and to make to you my confession here and to get from you here one word of confidence if you will give it to me florence was trembling now outwardly as well as inwardly you know my story as far i mean as i had a story once in conjunction with harry clavering i think i do said florence i am sure you do said lady ongar he has told me that you do and what he says is always true it was here on this spot that i gave him back his troth to me and told him that i would have none of his love because he was poor that is barely two years ago now he is poor no longer now had i been true to him a marriage with him would have been in a prudential point of view all that any woman could desire i gave up the dearest heart the sweetest temper i the truest man that-that well you have won him instead and he has been the gainer i doubt whether i should have made him happy but i know that you will do so it was just here that i parted from him he has told me of that parting said florence i am sure he has and miss burton if you will allow me to say one word further do not be made to think any ill of him because of what happened the other day i think no ill of him said florence proudly that is well but i am sure you do not you are not one to think evil as i take it of anybody much less of him whom you love when he saw me again free as i am and when i saw him thinking him also to be free was it strange that some memory of old days should come back upon us but the fault if fault there has been was mine i have never said that there was any fault no miss burton but others have said so no doubt i am foolish to talk to you in this way and i have not yet said that which i desired to say it is simply this that i do not begrudge you your happiness i wished the same happiness to be mine but it is not mine it might have been but i forfeited it it is past and i will pray that you may enjoy it long you will not refuse to receive my congratulations indeed i will not or to think of me as a friend of your husband's oh no that is all then i have shown you the gardens and now we may go in some day perhaps when you are lady paramount here and your children are running about the place i may come again to see them if you and he will have me i hope you will lady ongar in truth i hope so it is odd enough that i said to him once that i would never go to clavering park again till i went there to see his wife that was long before those two brothers perished before i had ever heard of florence burton and yet indeed it was not very long ago it was since my husband died but that was not quite true for here i am and he has not yet got a wife but it was odd was it not i cannot think what should have made you say that a spirit of prophecy comes on one sometimes i suppose well shall we go in i have shown you all the wonders of the garden and told you all the wonders connected with it of which i know aught no doubt there would be other wonders more wonderful if one could ransack the private history of all the claverings for the last hundred years i hope miss burton that any marvels which may attend your career here may be happy marvels she then took florence by the hand and drawing close to her stooped over and kissed her you will think me a fool of course said she but i do not care for that florence was in tears and could make no answer in words but she pressed the hand which she still held and then followed her companion back into the house after that the visit was soon brought to an end 
and the three ladies from the rectory returned across the park to their house. End of chapter 51 Recording by Jean Bascom, Potomac, Maryland